Welcome back to the Story of Software podcast. And today we're talking to Igor Bachman, who's the CTO at Bevira Health Lab. And we're going to talk about the differences between managing code and managing people. And so Igor, as mentioned, is the CTO of Vera, which is a Berlin-based company. It's providing personalized therapeutic training for patients with musculoskeletal pain. And Igor is going to tell us about his career journey from software engineer to CTO, his passion for building both products and teams. And I guess my first question is, how are you doing today? Yes, thank you. I'm doing quite well. So today is very sunny in Berlin. We have a good weather. Yeah, I'm doing great. And it's Friday, you know, it cannot be that bad. Fantastic. Yeah, glad to hear it. Yeah, so I'm in Cork and it's raining here right at this moment, but it might be sunny in about 10 minutes. The weather changes very rapidly in this country. They sometimes say we have four seasons in one day and it is Friday. And I've been very much looking forward to this discussion, Igor. And to begin with, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what led you to a career in technology. Yeah, I can definitely do that. So this question actually makes me like reflect a bit on uh, where it all came from and uh, brings back all kinds of uh, fond memories. So I'm definitely not one of those geeks that started uh, coding back in age of three or something like that. Uh, although I did have an affinity to technical stuff and technical things. And yeah, in my high school, when I learned, uh, studied electronics, uh, I got presented with the opportunity to serve in the telecommunications department uh, in the Israeli army. And then, then and there, I started realizing, okay, this could be a thing for me. And software development in particular, uh, when I actually managed to, uh, to spin up a Hello World project and see that it works and got a huge high out of it, I'm like, okay, I want to do this. So this is the thing. Um, yeah, so basically at that point in time, I decided, or maybe the circumstances decided for me that uh, this is the way to go for me. Very cool. Uh, I'd love to ask you about your company. So Vivira Health Lab, can you tell us about what the company does? Maybe a little bit of background? Um, yes. So you actually gave a really good intro and uh, described it quite accurately. So we are a small yet vigorous startup in Berlin. We provide digital musculoskeletal health solutions uh, to the masses. And uh, we run mobile applications and we're trying to with, the, with those applications to democratize the treatment for the musculoskeletal issues that, that people have more often than not. Uh, so yes, we're small, we're about like 60 something people and, and growing. And the background for it, uh, we started about six years ago and yeah, also based in Berlin, obviously. Uh, and about a couple of years ago when uh, the DIGA law in Germany uh, came to life, we I wouldn't say pivoted, but uh, redirected our focus into specifically that direction. So uh, now we are working in the legal law sphere. Very cool. I'd love to ask you about the technology challenges when it comes to building that kind of software. So what are the things that engineers need to have in mind? Okay, so uh, well, I'll start like a step back. So there's a level of dichotomy here in terms of, on the one hand, we are working in health tech and with that, you have a lot of regulations, so you cannot move fast and break things. Uh, but on the other hand, I witnessed uh, throughout uh, my tenure here in Vivira and in my previous company, which was also health uh, related, a lot of uh, a high level of agility and flexibility uh, of the company, of the teams, not only uh, tech teams, but all various teams for new agendas that pop in, 
uh, new requirements that are emerging. So I would describe us less Facebook and more of Apple approach, measure twice, cut once. Specifically for tech, I would describe it as fun. So we engineers have the, the luxury and the, and the fun part of solving the complexity of, on one hand, holding the, the various regulations, and at the same time, staying agile and uh, very nimble uh, with our approach to software and not, well, waterfall in it and releasing like once in six months or once a year. Uh, yeah, luckily, uh, specifically now, I have very talented and very capable uh, engineering and regulatory teams. Uh, that we work together very collaboratively or very efficiently to to enable the incorporation of those requirements uh, from the one hand, the regulatory, the strict ones, and from the other hand, the, the agility of the software delivery cycles. So uh, back to your question, um, the challenges for me specifically to find engineers that not only aware of those complexities, but also eager to work in uh, that kind of domain and that kind of uh, matrix of complex things. On the more technical, practical stuff, I would say that uh, we just don't have the luxury of using all the tools in the world. So there are some uh, third parties that we are not really allowed to use. Uh, but I can honestly say that those are not showstoppers and we definitely have uh, really good alternatives to, to work around that. Very cool. Before I ask you the next question, I'm, I'm going to tell you a little anecdote. And that is when the CTO of our company, uh, Ankel, joined, he joined as a software architect and he joined on the basis that he wanted to move from a managerial role in his old company to something more purely technical. And we promised him that, of course, he could join and work as an architect. But he was so good with and is so good in terms of interpersonal skills, leadership, uh, vision that within a year, we asked him to become the CTO. And, you know, with a little bit of convincing, we were able to move to that role. So I want to ask, were you a willing or a grudging CTO? Is that something, your career trajectory from engineer to CEO, did you want to end up in that kind of leadership role or was it kind of thrust upon you? Well, first of all, I would really like to, uh, to meet your CTO. Sounds like an awesome guy. As for me, no. When I started uh, as a software developer, I never saw myself as a CTO, uh, but early on, all I wanted to do is just spit out code and as much as possible. It came a little bit later on with experience uh, when you actually start to realize, okay, you can deliver much more value with using like different methods. Uh, so with a natural progression for me specifically, I saw those ways to deliver more value as uh, leading other developers as well. Uh, but that also, I only realized only after I presented with the opportunity to, to actually do that. And once I started being a team lead, uh, then I, I knew that one day I will definitely get uh, to the CTO role. I just want to, to learn and, and to get as much knowledge and be prepared as much as possible for that. When you think about the differences between managing code and managing people, like what are the, what are the key differences in terms of skill set that you need to utilize? Good question. So uh, managing code, you need to be able, obviously, to be uh, technical, well, good technical skills. Uh, with managing people, I would say, first of all, you don't manage people, you lead people, because well, no one really needs to be managed. Uh, you, you manage code, you manage complexities, not people. Uh, with leading people, you need a much, much bigger 
set of of skills and and a bigger bigger bag of tricks to dive uh, dive into and to try to um try to accommodate yourself to to the situation that uh, that you're presented uh, because you will be presented with a huge variety of of situations so with code code is code code is not um not easy but it's not extremely complex When you think about the um, challenges around managing people, can you talk about how that's manifested itself for you? Like what have been the, the difficulties and maybe also the kind of the good things that have come from those experiences? The difficulties is um, it's something that you can learn, but only when the, the rubber actually hits the road, uh, only then you can, uh, you can actually try to understand the, the theory behind it and try to implement it and, and apply it to the current situation. Um, I could say that the rewarding parts and the, the benefits of leading people is definitely seeing the, uh, the by the end of the day, the, the smile on the face. So you can see a person smile, but with a computer, you can only make it smile. So that's a, that's a huge difference that, uh, that plays into my personal character. And I also... I don't love to be, to sound too corny, but I do love helping people. So that plays quite well with my leading role. I also still get a kick and still get a rush uh, of getting a piece of code working, but it's incomparable to, to the satisfaction when you see a person or a group of people actually fulfilling their potential and knowing that you had at least some small parts in, in doing that. I think that's very true. I'm not sure if you had the same experience, but one thing that moving from individual contributor to leadership role did for me was probably open up my awareness and empathy for people that had managed me or led me in the past. So I don't think I was the easiest person to manage as an individual contributor. I probably had an overestimation of my own capabilities and importance, you know, probably looked at the roles being carried out by leaders and managers and I thought, I could do better type of thing. And then you're put into that situation and you realize, oh, wait, this is actually really hard and way more complicated than you think it is. Like there are scenarios when you're leading a team where you might have different members on that team who need different things. So for example, you might have a, a very difficult situation going on in your business or in your team and you need to communicate what's going on. And some people will want huge amounts of detail and others will want way less detail. So should your communication style be tailored and should you be delivering different messages to different people or should you put out one coherent message and if so do you go heavy on detail or light on detail so like the complexity increases exponentially what it did for me was it forced me to probably sit down and write a few apology emails to former managers of mine and kind of say you know thank you for being patient and understanding boss and now that I'm doing this job I realize that it's not as easy as it looks so um, yeah certainly I, I think it became a bit more empathetic to uh, certainly to the challenges attendant to leading people. I can absolutely relate to that. Um, I had <laughs> the exact same experience. I mean, when I uh, first transitioned uh, into the role of, uh, of a team lead, I'm like, yeah, it looks quite easy from the outside. How hard can it get? I mean, you just boss around people and yeah, and then that's it. But no, like quite, quite fast and quite quickly, I, uh, I realized the, the huge complexity of actually managing the the complexity of leading people yeah that that's definitely something i can honestly relate to and 
had the same experience uh, with also transitioning uh, into the CTO role. So I also had a good uh, good impression of uh, what it is and how it will be like. And it's not extremely different from uh, leading a team or leading teams, but still the, there is a difference and it's quite substantial. So there is a big gap between the perception of things and actually being in, in a role and seeing things from the inside and like, okay, <laughs> now, now the fun begins. Now you need to, to solve things differently and to deal with people differently. And as you said, yeah, with some people need to be more direct, less direct, more details, less details. The whole variety, the entire rainbow applies. Yeah, certainly does. Um, I was having a discussion yesterday with a uh, agile coach who was talking about servant leadership as um, the form of leadership that's most suited to uh, a modern technology company. And I tend to agree. And it's the, the idea that the leader of any group or organization is there to facilitate the success of others and is there to serve others, not to serve their own personal interests, or personal gain. And I have to say, I find it a really powerful concept. And uh, I think it's inherently a really optimistic uh, concept by nature. And it requires a bravery and trust that if you do the right things, that the right outcomes will follow from doing the right things. So um, it's about reducing your own ego and your own uh, self-interest. It's about enabling the common success of the team and the collective goal. Um, I'm not sure if you've come across the concept, but it's, it's one that's, uh, that's gaining currency and gaining uh, popularity within the tech sector in particular. Yeah, so uh, it ties to uh, the, the concept that I heard several years ago uh, of making yourself redundant. And I'm trying to stick to that, uh, to that concept and work by it. And it ties back beautifully with the servant leadership. Because if, if I'm redundant, then I did my work and you all, uh, you, my team are all empowered and everyone can, uh, can work beautifully without me being the bottleneck. Now, the thing that that requires is the bravery that if you enable your team so well that they don't need you anymore, um, that like the fear voice will tell you, don't do that because then you won't have a job, right? But the brave voice will tell you that's going to open up the opportunity for your next job. It's going to make you a more accomplished leader who's capable of taking on even more responsibility. And I think we live in a world where there's more of a shortage than a surplus of people with the willingness to take on heavy burdens and heavy responsibilities. So again, it's a, you know, it's an inherently optimistic view of the world that if you do the right thing, everything will turn out fine. <laughs> that's what I really love. Yes, uh, but I also would say that it will open up an opportunity uh, not only for you to grow in a different company, but also in your own company where you work. So I see only only benefits out of this uh, this concept because if I make myself redundant for my team, it means that I have more time to focus on the other things that I have. And I have a backlog of duties and things that I want to do and things that I need to do. Uh, so... The beneficiaries out of it are definitely my team, the company, and me. So it's a win-win-win situation. It really is. Igor, I'd love to ask you about uh, scaling teams. So, you know, there's um, a lot of challenges attendant to um, growing a team. Um, my own mom was a, was a manager in the education industry, and she used to say to me that you bring one new team member into a team and your entire team has changed. You have a totally new dynamic. So how have you approached uh, scaling teams? 
what are maybe some of the mistakes that you've observed maybe in, over the course of your career in other organizations? And what do people need to have in mind when they go about that very challenging task of taking a, a small team and, and making it a hell of a lot bigger? Well, first of all, your mom is definitely correct. Once you bring in or take out a person from a team, then the norming, forming, storming phase begins all over again. So there are definitely several several mistakes that I that I saw and did by myself throughout the scaling phases. So when I first started being a team lead, I had the the stupid idea and the hubris that I can still be a lead developer and leading a team all together at the same capacity. All the same time. Yeah, quickly I realized that it is not the case. I am definitely not Superman because by the end of the day, something needs to give. Either it's your uh, role as a developer, either it's uh, that will suffer, or your team that will suffer, or your health that will suffer. Something will uh, will have to give. Uh, so this is a common mistake that uh, I see all too often with uh, with newly uh, promoted team leads. Yeah, another pattern that I saw is uh, micromanagement so i i experienced it on on my flesh and it's not the the best uh, the best approach in life to be micromanaged this is why i decided yeah i will never micromanage uh, but nonetheless you're preventing too many things when you're micromanaging so you're preventing yourself from dealing with the actual responsibilities that you have on your plate uh, you're preventing from your team to grow and shine and, and be really the best them that they can be. Just let it go. And how to avoid those things is quite easy, I would say. Uh, the first thing you need to learn, uh, either it's from other people, uh, like coaches or some mentors or something like that. Conferences, books also could be a good uh, good source of uh, of knowledge. And you also need to keep in mind that you never stop learning. If you ever reach the point that, uh, that you say to yourself, yeah, God has figured out, I know how to do this, this is the point where you start to downscale yourself. And yeah, one thing that I uh, really personally utilize quite well and helped me a lot is, uh, is a feedback loop. So I have a close, uh, close circle of, of people that uh, keep me honest at all time, and I can pinpoint them uh, with uh, with all kind of situations and ideas and whatnot, and uh, they will say, "Hey, no, that doesn't work," or mm, "You've been kind of off this this topic," uh, or validated uh, in some cases. So yeah, the letter definitely helped me a lot and helps me through this day. I'd love to. Uh ask you whether there's any advice you'd give to your younger self based on what you've learned over your career hmm. advice um advice yes I, but i would definitely not change anything i'm really fond of my of my journey the highs and the lows uh, and i'm quite fond of the place that i'm now in my career at the moment but advice uh, <laughs> i give a couple of advices so one advice is uh, take some psychology classes in university uh, that's uh, that's a really good start um, and an early start with the soft skills. And this is something I would encourage my younger self to do early on. And the second advice, buy Bitcoin. <laughs> that's always helpful. Yeah, I suppose it depends on the point in time. <laughs> it was quite early. So <laughs> it was the point in time when, when it was lucrative. 
Very good. Yeah, I think if I had to answer that question to myself, I think it would be uh, in those moments when you want to decide between the brave thing to do and the other thing to do, choose the brave thing all the time. Yeah, like I've never regretted it. I've never regretted taking a risk um, where the risk being taken was the more ethical or it was the path of integrity. It was, you know, we know it in our in our soul, like whether we're going on the right path or the wrong path. And I think sometimes fear can misguide us and it can kind of push us down and, and give us maybe a, a negative view of the world. We start the universe is a hostile place. And the reality is that I think the only mindset that you can have is like, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in life, but even with all that uncertainty, just be brave and, uh, and you won't have too many regrets. I can empathize as well with that situation of like not wanting to change things in terms of, you know, both the good and the bad things that have happened in, in your journey. Like, I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to say that you wouldn't change a thing. And I, I honestly, I, I wouldn't change a thing either, because even though I've had some difficult moments, they have been rich sources of learning for me and they've been character shaping and it's in those moments of difficulty that you self-actualize, that you're capable of overcoming obstacles and dealing with hard times. And it strengthens you and gives you confidence. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's a it's a really wonderful thing to be able to say. And as you were saying, and I thought, God, you know, lovely to hear. And luckily, I, I feel the same way. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. But uh, again, doing the, the brave thing or the right thing, it's hard. It's so easy to say verbally, yeah, I will do the right thing. But then you need to overcome so many things and so many like fears and doubts. And uh, if you are someone uh, new in your role, if you are a first time team lead, then you definitely have the imposter syndrome. Uh, and that kicks in quite fast and quite well. So doing the right thing, yeah, you, you need to remind yourself all too often that this is the, like, the only way to go. Exactly as you said, like, the only mindset. And, and regarding the, the path, except for the highs and the lows, you also meet a lot of interesting people throughout your journey. And some of them I'm still uh, in contact to this day. So yeah, I will definitely not trade this, this experience and those, uh, those people. Yeah, I, I would say just on that point of kind of the people that you meet along the journey, I think if you can take a, a view that everyone has something to teach you and that you should listen and ask questions because uh, wisdom can spring forth from unexpected sources, even from the mouths of children. So uh, yeah, having the view that like we're here to learn, we're here to grow, and that those that we encounter along the path, even those experiences we might call out as being negative in some shape or form, or maybe we encountered people who were having a bad day or weren't at their best, there's still some rich learning to be extracted from those situations. And Igor, I have one last question for you, which is, can you share any recommendations for books, podcasts, or any other sources of knowledge that have aided you in your career? Um, yes. So obviously going to conferences uh, is quite mind-expanding and uh, really fun in terms of also meeting different people. Uh, but in terms of podcasts, uh, the two that I listened uh, recently quite a lot is uh, Dev Interrupted from Linear B and the alpha list podcast for ctos they have quite interesting guests and uh, the topics are if not uh, if not something that you can learn of at the very least you can relate to so i find those two quite interesting and books i really love books and especially audiobooks and um, it fills my uh, my commute time 
beautifully. So the the couple of books that I can recommend on the self improvement is uh, Super Thinking, and the other one is How to Take Smart Notes, which is a super random, super accidental uh, book that I stumbled upon, and I'm definitely not the the target audience for it. But nonetheless, I gained so much uh, value from it. So it was really an interesting uh, small pearl to to find. And uh, in terms of like more leadership management books, uh, my my go-to book is uh, The Goal by Liao Goldrat, uh, Radical Candor, but the second edition, not the first one. Um, and I really like uh, Clean Agile because, well, I still love old grumpy developers and Uncle Bob especially. So those are my books. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Igor. Really enjoyed the discussion with you. Likewise. Thank you very much. The Story of Software podcast is a Zartis production brought to you by Adnan Tuchar, Lariana Fantoni and Evan Sheehan.